So, how many of you have seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? Go ahead. Okay, now I'm really going to date you. How many have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark in a movie theater? I just want you to know that movie is 42 years old. You saw that movie 42 years ago. It doesn't even seem possible, does it? Um, and what is, seems even less possible is that there is a new one coming out this summer. Number five in the series. So these guys are going to be going around on their walkers. They're going to be getting their canes. Harrison Ford is going to have his hand on cane on one and his whip in the other. So, uh, but there's a scene in that original movie that has become pretty iconic. You're probably going to remember it as soon as I bring it up. There's bad guys chasing Harrison Ford slash Indiana Jones. And finally, he's cut off and confronted by this huge man with a big, wicked-looking sword. And he's throwing it back and forth, and he's swinging it around. It looks like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen to Indiana Jones? And all of a sudden, he pulls out his gun, and he shoots him. Right? He shrugs his shoulders and walks away. The point is that the man brought a sword to what? A gunfight. And he lost because of it. When we need to win the fights that matter most, we need to make sure that we're using the right weapons. Let me say it again. When we need to win the fights that matter most, we need to make sure we're using the right weapons. So we've been working our way through the book of James. I hope it's been as helpful to you as it has been to me. I love this book. As I think I've mentioned, it's the first book of the Bible. No, um, James, no, yeah, James was the very first book of the Bible that I read. I liked it, first of all, because it was short, <laughs> and it was practical, right? It gave me, I didn't know how to do any of this stuff, and I, I was looking for some practical instruction on how to follow Jesus, and boy, James hands that out all day long. James is like the friend who tells us the truth that we don't always want to hear but need to. How many of you know what I'm talking about? He's that guy, hey, you got a piece of lettuce between your teeth. He is that friend. It's hard-hitting instruction for people who want to know how to follow Jesus in clear and practical ways. So I'm grateful for this book. I have been helped as we've walked through it, and I've been reading and studying through it. I hope you have as well. A few weeks ago, I started a message called, How to Win the Fight We're In. How to win the fight we're in. Now, this is James chapter 4, verses 1 and 10. The first part of that message, we looked at the problem and we looked at some of the solutions. So what is the problem? The problem is that there is a part in each one of us that fights against what is good and right and true. There's parts in our minds, there's parts in our soul that pushes against what's right, pushes against what's true pushes against what's good. The Bible calls this part our carnal nature, our flesh, the part of us that fights against God and His influences. The Apostle Paul described it this way, Galatians 5.17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. How many of you feel that on a daily basis? We want to do this, but we don't end up doing the thing that we want to do. We end up doing the stuff that we didn't want to do. 
We have good intentions to do right, but something gets lost between here and there. Something gets lost in the translation, and our flesh is a big part of what hinders us, keeps us from getting to that place that we're trying to get, from being the person that we're trying to be. I believe we can win that fight more often than we do right now. I want to win more and lose less. Is there anybody with me? I want to live in more of the peace, the joy, the faith, the patience, kindness, truth, love, and power of God than I do right now. And I want the same for you. I want the same for your families. I want the same for our neighbors. This side of heaven, we will never win every battle. But we can improve our winning percentage. How many of you baseball fans out there? Any baseball fans? At the end of the season, we're always looking throughout the season what the winning percentage of our team is. Because it doesn't matter how many wins or losses they have. It does, kind of. But it's the winning percentage that makes them in first place or last place. We can improve our winning percentage. We can win more than we are right now. Now, the flesh is just one of the enemies that we face. The Bible talks about three enemies that we have to prepare for. The world, which is not the, the earth, the, the terra firma. The world is the world system. It's what the world system values. It's how it does its business. It's what it prioritizes. It opposes God and fights against His rule and authority. If you want some more of that, I, I could have in, included it in here. It's James chapter 4, just In this 1 through 10, we talked about it during that message. You can read back through there. To be a friend of the world is what? To be an enemy of God. The world system is under the sway of the wicked one, the Bible tells us. This world system needs to be avoided. We need to challenge what it teaches us, challenge what it tells us. It opposes God and fights against His rule and authority. Number two, we have the world, but we also have the flesh. As we've just described, the part in us that still clings to having its own way. Fighting for what it wants, when it wants it, and how it wants it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The last enemy on the list, and the one I want to focus on this morning, is the devil. He's known by many names in the Bible. Satan, which means adversary. Devil, which means slanderer. Beelzebub, which literally means Lord of the Flies, likely referring to him as the Lord of Death. Other titles for Satan include the Tempter, 1 Thessalonians 3.5, the Wicked One, Matthew 13.19, the Accuser of the Brethren, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, the Ruler of this World, John 12.31, the God of this Age, 2 Corinthians 4.4, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. 2 Corinthians 11.14 says that Satan deceptively transforms himself into an angel of light. Talking about his deception and how he appears as one thing but is really another. How it can seem harmless and helpful even. And yet it brings destruction and brings eventually death. Satan is a powerful adversary that we cannot defeat in our own strength or on our own terms. Passages in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15 and Ezekiel 28, 11, 19, although they don't explicitly say that this is describing the devil um, being an angel and falling from heaven, it sure does give us reason to believe that Satan was Lucifer, that he was an angel, that he was with God in heaven, yet he rebelled. He said that I will be greater 
than God. I will put my throne higher than God and was cast out of heaven. Overcome with pride, rebelled against God. And now, 1 Peter 5.8, Peter warns us, be sober-minded, be alert, because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking for anyone he can devour. When we were in Africa, we were... Um, we were on a, uh, a safari, and um, they tried to get us out in the morning because the animals eat in the mornings. So we were driving down the road towards one of these places, and the lion just comes walking by us, blood on his face. Um, he had just had breakfast, and he was going to find a place to take a nap. Um, but I thought of this verse, seeking whom he may devour. He's not in heaven anymore, even though he wants to get back and he thinks he probably will get back. Now he's prowling around your life. He's prowling around my life. He's prowling around our neighbors, our friends, and our family, just looking for someone that he can devour. Friends, we need to protect ourselves with the right weapons. We need to know how to win these battles, how to win these fights, because lives are hanging in the balance. How many of you know some? I know some. I'm praying for some. It's all around us. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I want abundant life. I want it for me. I want it for you. I want it for them. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. We're in a war, friends. We can ignore it if we want, but we will only hasten our defeat. The devil's not going to leave you alone if you leave him alone. It doesn't work that way. He hates you. He's looking for someone to devour. We need to make sure it's not us. We need to make sure it's not our family. We need to make sure it's not our friends. Satan is a problem. He is a powerful, supernatural being at war with God and all who follow him. In order to defeat him, three things are critical. Number one, we must realize that we're at war. We're going to probably have to take our heads out of the sand. We're not, it's not a day at the beach. We are at war, and we can't treat it like we're not. Number two, we need to be willing to actively fight against him. And number three, we need to use the right weapons. Thankfully, James gives us clear instructions on how to defeat the devil, to avoid the traps that he sets and the lies that he tells. We read it in James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. James lists three powerful weapons, weapons we need to be familiar with, weapons we need to train with if we want to be able to use them effectively in the moments that matter, right? If you have, and and, and I'm sure there's always different opinions about many of these things. I don't know if you have a handgun in your home or you have a, a gun in your home for protection, If you don't train with that gun, when somebody breaks in, you're not going to know what to do. 
If you have a gun in your home, you need to train with it. You need to know how to shoot it. You need to know how to operate it safely. You need to know how to store it safely, right? You need to train with the weapons that you have. If you don't train with them in those moments, you're not going to know what to do because fear is going to overtake you, because the enemy is going to be pounded on your head, because all this stuff is going to be confused. But if we will train before those moments, we are going to be able to get through them on the right side of it. We're going to be able to go through in victory instead of defeat. We're going to be able to win our battle and not lose it. When the enemy has us cornered and there seems no way out, if we engage him wrongly, we'll lose. But if we use what God has given us to win, we can and we will. Let's not bring a sword to a gunfight. We can overcome the attacks of the devil and live in peace, love, forgiveness, joy, freedom, and power. Hey, I want that. Then our first step to that, our first response to the attacks of the devil is, number one, submission. Submission. This is not a popular word. (laughs) This is not a word that comes natural to us. Especially in America, where we were formed, it's in our DNA to be independent, to rise above, to overcome. Right? We don't submit, we don't bow down to anybody. Submission, James writes uh, 7 and 8, therefore submit to God. This speaks plainly to a critical spiritual principle that we have to understand. It's the principle of authority. Somebody say authority. Each one of us has to decide whose authority we will live under. Whenever we place ourselves under godly authority... We receive the benefits of the kingdom. We receive its protection, its provision, and its privileges. When we place ourselves under godly authority, when we rebel against godly authority, we choose to live outside of that protection, provision, and privilege. I think it's John Bevere wrote a book called Undercover, talks about authority. What Probably one of the better books I'm not a huge John Bevere fan, but one of the better books, the best book of his that I've read, and uh, something worth definitely looking at. I remember the first pastor I worked for after I graduated from Bible college, he said something to me I'll never forget. He said, submission is only submission when we don't agree. Otherwise, us and those who may have responsibility for us, we're just traveling in the same direction. But once there's disagreement, we continue to go our own, a, our own way, and they continue to go theirs. We were never really submitted. We just happened to be traveling in the same direction for a while. We think that they should turn left, and they say, we're going to turn right, and we often just turn left and keep on going. See you later. That's not submission. And again, I'm talking about godly submission. Some of us, and I've heard stories and Uh, people even in this room that have submitted in situations that was not godly and been wounded or abused as a result. That's not what I'm talking about. Under godly submission. God has an order of authority in all the things that He's instituted, in government, church, and family. 
The best and most obvious example of this is when we choose to resist or to submit to God Himself. He is the highest and ultimate authority. Now, when we submit to Him, we place ourselves under His protection, His provision, and His privilege. Now, this begins with a one-time decision, and then that decision must be remade over and over and over again. So when God says, hey, up ahead here, we're going to, we're going to go right. <laughs> and you think, I don't want to go right. And then God says it again. Um, up ahead here, we're going to go right. And we say or we think or we feel, I don't want to go right. And then God goes right and we have to decide if we're going to stay under or if we're going to go outside to do our own thing. Outside of his protection, provision, and privilege. We have to choose whose authority we're going to recognize. Whose authority we're going to surrender to. God alone is the one authority that we can always trust. It is the one authority that is above all, greater than all. We, it is the one authority, the one being that we can trust completely and totally. And we can choose to submit to, surrender to, live under His authority. All of us have that fleshly part of us that rebels against God's rule in our life. This is why we have to train and at times force our flesh to submit. How many times you want, you just want to do that. But you know that's not right. And you say, you know what, I'm just going to make myself go over here because I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pull in, that's silly. I'm not going to pull in and go get that double milkshake, strawberry and vanilla, even though that's my favorite strawberry vanilla milkshake, but I'm not going to do it right now because my doctor says my cholesterol is too high and he wants to put me on medicine. But we all have that part of us. And again, that's a silly, but there's part of us in our hearts, right? That God says, hey, I want you to go right. And you go, I'm not ready to go right. I don't want to go right. It's why disciplines are so helpful, prayer, fasting, Bible reading, because we need to train and at times say, flesh, you're going to line up. I don't like to fast, but it's good for me. The Bible says a man without self-control is like a city with broken down walls, without protection. We have to be able to exert control over our flesh, over our emotions, over our feelings, over our opinions, over our attitudes. There's a question that all of us need to ask ourselves, and some of us are not going to want to answer. Do we consistently have trouble with those who have authority over us? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. If so, we may have an authority problem. We're going to have to train extra hard. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. Does that sound like something that's just going to happen? The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Friends, there's all kinds of stuff going on in our heads. Now, it is not a sin. You cannot control the thoughts that go on in your heads. But we do control how long we let them stay there. They said one time that you can't keep a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep them from building a nest there. 
right? There's thoughts, there's attitudes, there's emotions that try to build a nest in our heads. And we have to shoo those birds away. You're not welcome here. You can't stay here. You're no good. You can't. You won't. Nobody cares about you. You'll never make it. You'll always be this way. You're never going to amount to anything. Messages that have been ingrained in us or reinforced by other people. We have to take those thoughts captive to obey Christ. Because in Christ, I am more than an overcomer. In Christ, I have the image of God. I have the life of God inside of me. In Christ, I can do all things through Him. In Christ, I will follow and obey Him. In Christ, you are more than you feel. You're more than you've been told. You're more than you know. doesn't matter what Johnny down the street says. It doesn't matter what what daddy said it doesn't matter what mama said it doesn't matter how they treated us it it hurt and it it left scars but we don't have to be defined by them we are who god says we are not who they think we are not who they think we are not who they said we are we are who god says we are he made us he formed us he knows us so we have to make sure that we chasten some of those birds away we have to train When rebellious or critical thoughts come and bombard us concerning those who are responsible for us, those in authority, when we know we're supposed to go right and we go left and we just refuse to move. I'm not disobeying. I'm just not going. Uh, How many of you were that kid? Come on, just be honest. I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. When we want to go exploring in some forbidden field, We need to recognize that we can't rightly do whatever we want. We need to line up with God's authority that is over us in humble and supportive ways. If we train our hearts and our minds like this, when the enemy comes with those enticements, with those temptations that would distract us, that would derail us, that could even destroy us, we will be prepared and will be better equipped to stand our ground and to choose to remain surrendered and submitted to God. That's where we're strong. That's where we're protected. That's where we're provided for. Not where somebody tries to push us into, but standing in those places where God says, Saying, God, I stand here depending on you. I'm not trusting in that. I'm not trusting in this. God, I'm trusting in you, and I'm going to do what you say regardless of whatever else is happening. Surrendered and submitted to God. This is, this is probably unnecessary, but for the football fans out there, the quarterback is the most important player in the game. And there are guys who are lined up just in front of him to protect him from all those other guys. On on the other side of those guys are guys that are trying to do everything they can to get him off of. He's supposed to go back so many spaces to step up and to throw the ball. He's got a spot that he's supposed to be in. And these guys want to do everything they can to get him off of his spot, to make him run around, to go this way and that way. And that's exactly what the devil wants to do. He's trying to get you off of your spot. The place where you're strong, the place where you can see what's happening. The place where things make sense. He's trying to push you off of your spot. But if we will train in those moments that don't seem like they matter, when the moments that come that do matter, we're going to be ready. 
It's only under God's authority that we are able to stand and to defeat the enemy that is coming after us. And friend, he's coming. Number one, the first weapon we need to use is we need submission. Number two, we need resistance. Resistance, the second weapon that we need is resistance. God, uh, James 4, 7, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, one of the ways this word resist is described is to withstand. To withstand. And I really like that because it reminds us that this is not just a one-time decision. Like you resist the devil one time and he's going to leave you alone forever. How many of you know that's not true? Yeah. The biblical account of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness is fascinating. It's in a few of the Gospels. I'm uh, um, not going to quote, but I'm referencing Luke 4.13. If you want to go through back and read that, I think it's in Matthew 4 as well. The biblical account of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness is fascinating. Satan is this supernatural created being. He's not all-knowing. He only knows what he or his collaborators can observe. He doesn't know what's going on in your head, but he sees what's going on on the outside of you. He knows how you respond. He knows how I respond. He doesn't know what's going on in our mind. He tries to plant thoughts there. He tries to influence us. But I don't believe the devil knows what's going on in our mind. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He only knows what he or his collaborators can observe. So while he may not have fully understood what Jesus' mission was, the Bible says if they fully understood, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory, right? The devil knew that Jesus was God in the flesh, and that he had come to enact the plan of God that was set to destroy the devil's most powerful weapons. Things like sin and guilt and bondage and death. So this rebellious angel walks up to the Son of God and tries to tempt him to walk out from under God's authority and to follow him. Come on. This guy, he, he already knows who he is. And he's walking up to him. Like, Can you imagine the pride that would cause you to say, I'm bigger than God, I'm going to be greater than God. He walks up to Jesus to tempt him, even though he knows he's created, and he knows he's creator. So this angel stands before the Son of God, tries to tempt him to walk out from under God's authority, submit instead to his, after Jesus refuses Satan's temptations three times by standing on the Scriptures, quoting from Deuteronomy three times, Satan leaves him for a season, for a time until the best opportunity for temptation presents itself again. Some translations say for an opportune time, some for a season, some for a time. The devil's not going to leave us alone for the rest of our lives just because we resist him one time. We got to do that over and over and over. Jesus has won the war on Calvary, right? That's a good place to say amen. Let me say it again. Jesus has won the war. He won the war against the devil on Calvary. Hey, Satan has been defeated along with hell, death, and the grave. And while Satan no longer has authority over us, he does have ability to tempt, to harass, to inflict, and to destroy. Jesus took away his authority, but he still got ability. Now, whatever you want to call them, people who come across the border illegally, migrants who are here, they don't have authority to be here, but they have ability to be here. And please, I'm not um, trying to 
um, I need to stop using that. It's a much different reference than it was five years ago. Um, I'm not trying to use that to compare um, migrants with the devil in any way, shape, or form. Please don't misunderstand. It's just an idea of ability without authority. The devil has ability. Jesus took away his authority until we give him authority in our life by surrendering to him like Adam and Eve did. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So um, the creator, God, he has authority over everything. He makes Adam and Eve, and he gives them authority over what? The earth. They rebel against God, instead obey, submit themselves to who? The devil, who becomes, the Bible says, the Lord, uh, the prince of the power of the air, the, the God of this world. They had authority over the world. They gave it to Satan. So when Satan is tempting Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, that was a real temptation. Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to die. You don't have to do all that. I'll give you, I will fulfill your destiny right now the easy way. No cross for you here. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. Jesus has won the war, but we have to enforce his victory battle by battle until our enemy is finally brought before the king of the universe for final judgment. We're going to talk about that on Wednesdays, actually. But Jesus has won the war, but we have to enforce the victory battle by battle. How many of you know you're going to be in a battle tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday? You're going to be a battle this week to give in to the flesh, to step outside of God's authority and to do your own thing or to do somebody else's thing or to even do the devil's thing. He whispers some of that stuff in our ear. How many of you know the devil is so good at causing us to think what is completely unreasonable, completely reasonable. You've heard stories of people, what in the world were they thinking that they did that? Even sometimes we look back at our lives and say, what? what was I thinking? How could I have done something so dumb? How could I have, in any way, shape, or form, did I think that was okay? Because the devil specializes in making these things that are completely unreasonable seem totally reasonable. We have to have a no nailed down. I'm not doing that. If we will do that, we will be much more equipped and prepared to resist him. We have to have a no nailed down. I'm not doing that. I don't care what happens. I'm not doing that. The Bible talks about um, Romans 6.11. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The way that I was taught this verse, I think it was the New King James, it says, I'm going to wreck it. We have to reckon ourselves dead to sin. I reckon I'm dead to that. And I ain't doing that. I ain't playing in that yard. I ain't, I ain't, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. I got a no nailed down. It's sort of like, now, I'm going to try to be nice because, man, I'm just gargling with gunpowder to shoot my mouth off this morning. I don't mean to. I really don't. Um, it's like some folks with church. There's a... I go to church on Sunday. I'm the pastor. Yeah, I got to go, right? But even, even then, I just, I've always loved church. I don't know. I, I got saved when I was 25 years old. Man, these people, they introduced me to Jesus. They cared about me. They, it made a difference to them that I was there. Man, I want to go and give and serve and know Jesus better and help them. And I've loved church since the moment I was saved. And I go... We're on vacation, and I dragged Sarah to church. We were in Hawaii on our honeymoon. Babe, let's go to church. 
She's like, what are you talking about? It's our honeymoon. It's like, come on, let's go to church. I love church. But I know for everybody that it's, it's a hard habit to get into. It's an easy habit to get out of. But there's a no nail down. Man, I'm not staying home on Sunday. I go to church. It's like any of that stuff. I don't know whatever your thing might be. We got to get, no, get a hammer and a big old spike. I got a no nailed down. Put no on a piece of paper and nail that down right in the middle of your vinyl plank floor if you need to. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I'm not thinking that. I'm not saying that. We have a no nailed down. Man, I'm, de- I'm predetermined. What is the temptation that the devil uses to get you off course? Unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, jealousy, fear, discouragement, lust, control, doubt, bitterness, division, rebellion. What is it? What's it for you? All of us have our buttons. We all have stuff the way that that he, our weak spot. There's some of us, possibly even, and maybe some of us listening online, got a hook in us. We've never been able to get the hook out. All he's got to do is pull on that hard enough. And here we come. I used to have hooks. I don't have many more. <laughs> if you have hooks, you don't, they, you don't have to keep them. I'm telling you, God can pull the hook out. So the devil pulls on that line, there ain't nothing there. We have a no nailed down. Romans 6.11, we consider ourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We need to see ourselves as no longer participating in that type of attitude, activity, or habit. That is not for us. We need to decide that we will not step out from under God's authority and blessing to give others, to give ourselves to what will only bring more trouble, less peace, and distance us from God's authority and blessing. Let me read that in. I got lost in the middle of it. We need to decide that we will not step out from under God's authority and blessing to give ourselves to what will only bring more trouble, less peace, and distance us from God's authority and blessing. I've been, I've been working on some of you all for a long time. So you staying out of trouble? No, you wouldn't have any fun that way. I say, yes, you do. It's a whole lot more fun to stay out of trouble. I don't have all that guilt and all that shame you got to carry around that you got from getting in trouble. How many knows what I'm talking about? Y'all don't, y'all don't know. There's, yeah, come on now. The Bible says he is forgiven much, love much. I know all about that. Some here will remember the singer Bob Dylan. Anybody old enough to remember Bob Dylan? He wrote a song called You Gotta Serve Somebody. Bob Dylan went through a Christian time, released a Christian album. You gotta serve somebody. And the chorus ends with the words, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. The Bible makes this idea clear. Every time we say no, guess what? Our no gets stronger. Every time we give in, our resolve gets weaker. How many of you know that's true? Every time we say no, our no gets stronger. But every time we give in, our resolve gets weaker. Well, maybe just this one more time. Maybe I I could probably go, you know, probably this would be okay if I just did this just a little bit. Or if I did that, just a little, it'd probably be okay. Every time we give in, our resolve gets weaker. That nail just gets pulled out more and more. Next thing you know, then the hole gets filled in, and then we don't even remember why it was there. Friends, we've got to have a no nailed down. 
when we're under attack, when we just can't try to fight everything that moves, we panic, and everything that moves we want to take a shot at, we have to realize what's happening. We have to stop and look around, surrender our feelings, our thoughts, our actions, and our attitudes to God, and then He will give us power and wisdom to stand under the temptations and the traps of the devil. But there's still one last weapon that quickly... I'm sorry, I know I went long today. There's one last weapon that we need to include and become familiar with. And number three, so the first one is submission. And the second one is resistance. And the third one is intimacy. Intimacy. James 4, 8, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Friends, God's ultimate goal is not your submission and your obedience. God's ultimate goal is not to get you right, to get you better behaved. That is not God's ultimate goal. His ultimate goal is is you. He wants you. He wants your company. He wants your loyalty. He wants your love. He wants you. He doesn't, he's not just, you're not his project where he can just get you straightened out. He loves us, wants us. He invites us to come to him, not so he can control us, but so he can complete us, so he can heal us, forgive us, deliver us, empower us, fulfill us. But he wants us to want what he wants for us. So, Adam, God puts Adam in the garden. God creates the animals. He has Adam name every one of the animals. And as a result, how did he come up with aardvark, by the way, or platypus, right? I'm sure those are different in Hebrew or whatever that was. Um, So anyway, uh, God has Adam name all the animals in Genesis. And then at the end of seeing all the animals, everything that was on the earth, Adam says he he was lonely because he saw that there was nobody that was just like him. Before God had Adam name the animals, he had already planned to make Eve. But he wanted Adam to want what God wanted for him. So he put him in a situation where he saw his need for Eve, and then God made Eve. God wants us to want what He wants for us. There's an ache in some of your hearts. Some of those are godly. There's things that you want, that you've been praying for, that you've been hoping for, that you're believing for. Some of those things are things that God wants to do in you. And usually if they require sacrifice, if they require um, you know, us to say no to ourselves, and those are almost always God. Ah, <laughs> But if it's stuff that makes us feel better, makes us look better, makes us, we, you got to check that stuff out because a lot of times that ain't God. It's all about me. It's about how it's going to make me look or what it's going to make me do. Yeah, man, I want that. Jesus, God usually leads us to that stuff that causes us to sacrifice, that causes us to um, submit, that causes us to humble ourselves. That's usually the stuff that God wants for us. He invites us to come to him to heal us, forgive us, deliver us, fulfill us. He wants us to want what He wants for us, more of His love, more of His truth, more of His power at work in our lives. Do we want what God wants? 
question you need to ask yourself tonight when you're laying down and going to bed. Do I want what God wants for me? What God wants is more of Him. Your life. He wants more of Him in my life. Kev, if you would uh, be willing to come help me. He wants us to draw near to Him in His mind and in His heart. Over and over again, the Bible talks about us drawing near to God. When we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. He doesn't just tap His foot and say, well, you didn't do that just right. I don't like the attitude that you came with in with. You know, you haven't prayed enough this week. Your, your faith is weak. I, I, you'll go back and get it right and come back and see me. God doesn't do any of that. We come near to Him in whatever shape we're in, and guess what He does? He's like the father of the prodigal, man. He comes running. Aren't you glad you got a father like that today? He comes running to us when we just draw near to Him, when we want what He wants for us. Say, God, I want more of you. <laughs> guess what? He comes. He comes. He says, son, I know I love you. You get knucklehead sometimes. You're a little stubborn. You try and do your own thing, but I love you. You just keep coming to me and I'm going to get you straightened out. Just go ahead and stand with me today. We need to surrender, friends, and draw near to the king who welcomes us into a kingdom of life and light and truth and peace and love and power. How many need more love and strength and joy and peace and power in your life? Hey, come on, somebody. He is drawing us in. He is waiting for us. He has opened wide the gates and said, come on in. He just wants us to want what he wants for us. If Sunday's the only time we set aside to be with him, then friends, we are missing out on the privilege and the opportunity of his company and his presence the whole rest of the week. We need to carve out some time in our days just to be with Him. To go beyond just greeting Him and giving Him our list and moving on with the rest of the day. Okay, God, here's those five things that I'm really praying about this time. Thank you for taking care of that. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you later this week. Or I'll see you next month or whatever it is. There's more than just giving Him our list. And Hey, God, here's my list. He wants us to spend time with Him. And I know that can be uncomfortable. It's like, why am I sitting here in an empty room just like waiting for God to talk to me or touch me? Because it honors Him. Because it says when we draw near to Him, He's going to draw near to us. It's faith. Okay, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to come. I'm going to close the door. I'm going to turn my phone off. I'm going to set a timer. I'm going to get alone with you and ask you to come and meet with me. Friends, he does. He does. Not because you got it all worked out. Not because you, you got it perfect because you're religious enough or prayed enough or believed enough. He comes because we come because we want him to. He comes because we want him to. We're believing that he's going to do what he said he'd do. We take him at his word, he blesses that. I want to encourage you. You want to know if God loves you. You want to know if God's real. Put yourself alone in the room and close the door and say, God, I'm here. God, I'm here.
Guess what? <laughs> we draw near to him, he's going to draw near to us. I want to encourage you to do that this week. Carve out some time. Close the door. There's a whole world of love, of truth, and of power that God is waiting to give us. Is waiting to introduce us to. Just waiting for us to want it. What do you want today? What do you want this morning? You're on your own way. You want people to do what you say? You want more of Jesus? Knowing that that's probably going to take humility, that's probably going to take sacrifice. But what we give is nothing compared to what He gives us. Just take a moment, friends, just before we leave here today. If you want to win the fights that are most important, we need to make sure we have the right weapons and that we know how to use them. That means we need to train. We need to train now so when we're in the fight, we respond well. That means we need to submit ourselves to God. You might be here this morning. You may be listening online. You may be listening later. Say, you know what? I've never really submitted to God. I believe in God. I believe He's out there. I believe He's good. But I've never really submitted my life to I've never really humbled myself before Him and said, God, I, I want you to be my God. I'm going to come underneath of your authority. When you say go right, I'm going to try to go right. When you say stop, I'm going to try to stop. When you say turn left, I'm going to try to turn left. I'm not going to do any of it perfectly, God, but I'm, I'm willing. I want to submit to you today. Maybe you're here today and you've just been fighting. You've been fighting to get this part of your life or maybe all of your life that you've been fighting to wrestling with God over. You say, you know what, God, I give it up today. That's you. Just lift your hands high up in the air like nobody cares because nobody does. They only want what's best for you. I've been wrestling with something in my mind, wrestling with something in my heart. God's been trying to get me to surrender to him, but I've been having struggles and I'm asking for help today. I'm, I'm by faith, I'm giving it up to him. If that's you, just lift your hands in the air today. Yeah, me too. Come on, friends, let's just get honest today. We got stuff. We wrestle with God. Say, God, I'm giving it to you today because I trust you. <laughs> I trust you. I know that submitting myself to you is the very first step. God, I'm submitting that to you today. Maybe after submitting to God, we need to, we need to, we're asking for God's help to resist. There's stuff that gets us off of our spot, the, the stuff that calls out to us, or maybe stuff that pushes us down and, and pushes us around. We say, God, help me to resist the taunts, the lies, the traps of the enemy. God, I repent of any of the places that I have not resisted, knowing that it wasn't right. I haven't resisted. I've given in, knowing that it was wrong. God, forgive me today. I repent. And God, help me. Just take time to be with you. To know your love, your truth, and your power. God, I receive your love today. I know I can't earn it, and I don't deserve it. But God, I receive it. You just say, maybe you say it out loud, maybe you just say it to yourself today. Just say, I'm loved. I'm loved. I am loved by God. <laughs> you matter to Him. Loved by God. God, help us this week. 
Help us for the rest of our lives, I pray, to submit to you in times of trouble, in times of difficulty. God, we get our bearings. We don't know what's going on. There's a storm going on around us, but we we look to you. We look to the true north. We say, God, we're submitting to you. We're getting our bearings first. We we know where we're at. We, We know what's happening. We're submitting to you so we can push out. We can resist against the work, the schemes, the plans of the devil. And then we're just going to keep coming close to you, knowing that you are our source of strength, of power, of truth, of wisdom, and of life. Lord, we thank you today. We do not have to get beat up. We can win more than we're losing. We can win more than we're winning now. God, help us to do it, I pray, for us, for our families, for our neighbors, our friends, and for our world. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. If that's your prayer this morning, somebody shout it, amen.